For the past couple of weeks, we've been, we've been in this theme, the life of a worshiper. That's right, the life of a worshiper. And one of the reasons I believe that God pricked my heart to entitle it that is because worship is not just an act. It's not just the, the time of service. Worship is not just a slow song that we sing, but worship itself is a lifestyle. Come on and help me preach that to your neighbor. Just type in the chat, worship is a lifestyle. That's right, worship itself is a lifestyle. The scripture declares that we ought to present our bodies, watch this, as living sacrifices. This, this term sacrifice, it, it speaks to the Old Testament system of when they would offer sacrifices on the altar. If you saw a Jew dragging an animal behind him headed to the temple, if you were not a part of the nation of Israel, you would look at him and you would say he's getting ready to sacrifice that animal. But if you were to ask that devout Jew what he was getting ready to do, he wouldn't mention anything about sacrifice. He would say, I am getting ready to worship the Lord because what is worship all about? It's about taking something that I could use for personal gain. That's right. And this thing that I could have gotten personal benefit from, I decided to consecrate it to the Lord. So this animal that you say, I am sacrificing, I am actually giving it to the Lord. So when the writer declares that we ought to present our bodies as living sacrifices, he's saying that we ought to be living worshipers. Somebody shout, I am a worshiper. That's right. Our, the worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a thing that we do. But today, I want to be a little bit more, I, I want to target in on something today that God has been slow cooking in my soul for the past couple of weeks now. I want to talk about the moment of worship. Now, I'm not in the Negating the fact that worship itself is a lifestyle, it is the life that we live, but there is something that happens, my friend, in the moment of worship. And when I look at Moses, man, Moses continued to have these experiences with the Lord where God seems to become tangible to him. Understand there is the omnipresence of God, that's right, that simply means that God is everywhere at the same time. But by the same token, there is what's known as the manifest presence of God. Not only is he everywhere at the same time, but there are opportunities in worship when God comes out of hiding, come on somebody, and he begins to manifest himself over and over again. And that's what he does in Moses' life. And this is what I love about the scripture. This is what I love about my Bible, man. When I look at all the great patriarchs of faith, uh, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the New Testament uh, writers, Paul and Peter, I understand that God does not have a respect of person, come on, but he does have a respect of principle. And if we operate in the principle that these boys operated in, we could gain the same experience that they got. Come on, somebody. Moses kept manifesting the presence of God in the moment of worship. And I want to know what it is, my God, that Moses was doing over and over and over again. Because I don't know about you, man. I know what it's like. Maybe you don't know what it's like. But I know what it's like to get into the, to, to come into my moment of prayer. And I bow down and I say, God, I need you now. And after saying, God, I need you now. I don't feel nothing. I know what it's like to get off of my knees and say, well, maybe maybe something is wrong with me. Maybe I need to connect with my brother. And I grab hands with a brother or with a sister, pre-COVID, of course, grab hand with a brother or with a sister, and I say, I need you to pray for me because I need to feel something from God. I need to hear something from God. And they begin to pray with me, and I can see a 
manifestation happen on them. Tears rolling down their eyes. I see something happening on the inside of them. But after something happening on the inside of them, nothing is happening on the inside of me. And so I take it to the next level. Maybe I need to go to a worship service. Maybe I need to hear a prophet prophesy, a preacher preach, and I'll go into a service again. My experience, maybe you've never experienced this, but in a service, you're standing next to somebody, big old brother, big old built brother, and he falls down on his knees, and he begins to weep in the presence of the Lord, and it's a little girl behind you, six years old, with her hands lifted, and she's just saying, Jesus, I love you. A lady on the right with her hair, with her face buried in her hands, and she, she, you can tell that something is happening in the room, but after something happening in the room, it seems as though nothing is happening on the inside of me, and if you'll listen to me just for a few moments, I want to help you to never miss your moment of worship again. Help me preach to your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't miss your moment. I want to help somebody in this place. Slow down, Pastor McGee. I'm trying. I'm so excited. Help me preach and tell your neighbor, neighbor, don't miss your moment because I'm telling you, my friend, yes, worship is a lifestyle, but there is a moment in worship when the omnipresence of God becomes the manifest presence of God where supernatural things begin to happen in a service. I'm talking about powerful things begin to happen in your prayer closet, and I'm looking at the life of Moses because Moses was a worshiper. Watch this. And when Moses got into the presence of God, supernatural things begin to happen, and if God don't have a respect of person and he only has a respect the principle what is the principle that Moses practiced that calls the omnipresence of God to become the manifest presence I want to show you something that Moses continues to do in Exodus chapter number three verses number one watch this the Bible declares now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses, watch this now, saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Now, now press pause just for a moment because the bush is on fire. It's not being consumed. The reason it's on fire and not being consumed is because the bush is the manifestation of the presence of God. So if Moses is going towards the bush by default, he is going towards the presence of the Lord. Look what happens in verse number four. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, Moses said, here am I. Now press pause once again. The bush is where the presence of God is. Moses sees the presence of the Lord and Moses decides to come near the presence of the Lord. Oh my God. God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, Moses, why are you calling my name, God, if I'm coming towards you? The reason I got to call your name because there's something that I need you to do before you enter into my presence. We see what that thing is in verse number five. He says, do not, you're coming close, but I don't need you to come any closer right now. He says, do not come any closer before you take off your sandals. Hold, hold what you got, Moses. I know I got your attention. I know you want to enter into my presence. But before you come into my presence, Moses, what I need you to do, son, is to take off your sandals. Help me preach and say, neighbor, take off your shoes. 
Now, I've looked at this particular text for years, and, and, and this thought of taking off your sandals ha has just slipped past me. I thought it was just an insert from the narrator because he says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So this ground is holy, so you ought to just take off your shoes. But there is something significant about Moses taking off his sandals, and I'm getting ready to show you what it is. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 25, verses number 5, I want you to follow me. The Bible declares, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Six declares, the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now understand what's going on. You have two brothers who have received inheritances from their father. One of the brothers dies, but the living brother, he has two things. He has a responsibility and he has the right. What is his responsibility? His responsibility is the brother that died has land, he has possession that doesn't need to get carried off by some stranger. It needs to stay within the family. So he has a responsibility to raise up a seed through his brother's wife so that the son of the brother's wife can carry on his legacy and his name. That's his responsibility. But he also has a right. What is his right? His right is that nobody else can marry his brother's wife except for him. Come on. Unless he gives up his right, nobody can touch her but him. Verse number seven declares, however, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refused to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her. So in essence, he's saying, I don't want the responsibility and I am giving up my right. I don't want the responsibility of carrying on my brother's name. Neither do I want the right to take her as my wife. Verse number nine declares, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. Look, with, look at the two things that she's going to do to him. She's going to, number one, take off his sandals, and then the Bible says she's going to spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. She does two things. She spits in his face. Why does she spit in his face? Because she, look, look. What's being done is before the entire assembly of elders. He is publicly rejecting her, so she spits in his face. Why? Because she's saying, because you disrespected your dead brothers in front of the elders, I'm going to disrespect you and spit in your face. That's number one. Number two, I am going to remove your sandal off your foot. What does the removing of the sandal mean? It means that he is publicly in front of all the elders giving up his right to marry this woman, so she takes his sandal off of his foot. Where is this played out in the text? When you look at the book of Ruth, chapter number four, you see a man by the name of Boaz that has fallen in love with a woman by the name of Ruth. The problem is he loves Boaz, but he doesn't have the right to marry her because there's a closer guardian that's kin to the dead husband. So Boaz confronts the guardian that is closer kin to Ruth. And he says, I thought, verse number four of Ruth, chapter number four, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. 
I will redeem it. This is what the closer Kian says. I will redeem it, he says. Five declares, but then Boaz, on the day you buy it, he, he, he reiterates something, the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. So he's telling him that if you purchase the land of this dead man, you got to raise up a seed through Ruth in his name. He says you will also acquire, acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. State. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Look at what happens in verse number seven. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property become, to become final, one person took off his sandal and he gave it to the other. So in essence, the closer kin takes off his shoe as a sign that I am giving up my rights of ownership to this land and to this woman, and I am passing it on to you. God says to Moses, before you come any closer to me, take your sandals off and give up your rights. Now, understand what's going on, man. God began to minister this to me because I, man, I, I, I know what it's like, and I, I know what it's like to, to, to hit it and, and, and miss it. I, I know what it's like to instantly get into the presence of the Lord, and then there are times when I want to get into the presence of the Lord. It's like I can't. And there was this one particular season in my life, man, that I found it very, very difficult to feel the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking about emotionalism, but when it comes to Christianity, one of the things about our, our, our faith is the fact that we serve a personal God. He's not just some deity in the sky. He's not just some idol or some statue. He is a God that stepped down for the express purpose of having a relationship with mankind. So if God wants to have a relationship with me, it's important that I be able to communicate and to connect with him and so I'm not just chanting in prayer come on somebody but when I'm in prayer there should be some type of expression that God says that I'm here and there have been many times that I prayed and I felt that presence but there's other times I prayed and it's like that he just wasn't there and God began to give me the understanding years ago I was going through a trial man and I was really trying to tap in to hear the, the voice of God. I really needed to feel him close to me at this particular time in my life. But for whatever reason, it seems as though God was a million miles away from me. And I remember one night I had a dream. And in the dream, I had this brother in a bear hug just like this. Many of you guys have heard me give this testimony. I had him in a bear hug just like this. And I woke up out of the dream and I, I asked God because I knew immediately that this wasn't just a piece of dream. I didn't, I didn't have a bad piece of chicken, come on somebody, and just had a bad dream. I knew God was trying to say something to me. So I asked God, I said, God, what is this dream all about? And God spoke to me and he said that you can't grab a hold of my presence and all I have in store for you as long as you're holding on to a man. Now, understand, during this particular time, there was a brother who did me real, real dirty, man. I'm talking about he did something you just don't do to folk. You understand? And, and, it, and, this, and in this relationship, I thought that I had a right to hate him. I thought that I, because of what he did to me, do you know, I'm, I'm talking to God, God, do you know what this brother did to me? I thought I had the right to harbor bitterness in my heart. I thought I had the right, based on what he did, to reject him, to hate him, and to wish harm on everything that he loved because of what he did for me, to me. But God was saying, my son, there's a closeness that I see that you want 
of me. I see you walking towards the burning bush, but I'm telling you, you can't come any closer, Moses, until you take off your shoes. You can't come any closer until you give up your rights to hate, until you give up your rights to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. You can't come any closer until you give up your rights of bitterness in your hearts. This expression of Moses taking off his sandals was an outside sign of an inward reality of what was going on in his heart. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly what was going on in his heart, but I can look at the details of Moses' life and can see that there were some things that he might have thought that he had a right to because he was on a run. He was a murderer. He tried to help his brothers out, and his brothers rejected him. He might have thought he had, a, he had a right to harbor bitterness against his parents because his mama put him in the Nile River. His daddy wasn't there. I had to grow up with a mixed identity. It was later on that somebody told me that I wasn't an Egyptian, but I was, a, I was actually a child of God. He might have had some beef against his parents. I don't know exactly what it was, but God wants a closer relationship with Moses. And God says you can't come any closer until you give up these rights that you yourself have, have taken. I wonder what rights you are holding on to that's keeping you out of the presence of the Lord. I just, I just wonder what it is that you feel as though that you, I wonder who is it that you feel that you got a right to hate? Who is it that you feel you, right, you got a right to harbor bitterness in your heart against? Who is it that you feel that you got the right, my friend? And these rights that you think that you have, y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. These rights that you think you have are keeping you out of that intimate place with God. I wonder, can you say amen right there? We're talking about the moment of worship and I'm telling you, I've had some sweet times in worship, my God. I've had some really, really sweet and intimate times with worship. I got, <laughs> there, there are certain things I don't even tell folks about because it's just between me and God. And even if I told you, you, you probably wouldn't believe me anyway. So ain't, I'm, there's no need of me even wasting my breath telling you about it. But there's some sweet moments that I've had with God. And when I found out that there were things that I was holding, when I found out it's because I kept my sandals on, it's because I kept my rights on, it was keeping me out of the face of God. I start asking questions like this to God. God, what rights do I need to give up? What are things that I'm holding in my heart that's keeping me out of your presence? What's keeping a close God at, at arm's length? What is it? What is it, man? I'm reminded in the book of Joshua, and I'm almost done. Joshua, watch this. Chapter number five, verse number 13, the Bible declares, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua, look at this, went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Understand Joshua, Joshua is a warrior and he's in the middle of a battle and he sees somebody and he says, are you for us or are you for them? Because watch this, as, as, a, as, a, as a warrior, I have the right, watch this, to kill anything that's against my cause. And I also have the right to embrace anything that is for my cause. I have rights and I am exercising my rights now. Verse number four, the Bible declares, neither he replied, but this angel says, as, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Verse number 15, guess what he tells Joshua to do with his rights? He says, Joshua, take off your sandals. I know you got a right to kill, anything that's against your cause. I know you have a right to embrace anything that's for your cause, but understand there's someone that's mightier than you here. And if you're going to come close to me, if you're going to receive the instructions of the Lord, Joshua, I need you to take off your, take off your sandals. 
I wonder who I'm talking to today, man. Talk, watch this, watch this. I, I just wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder who I'm talking to. Oh, like me, a brother who knows what it's like to be close. Come close to me. Come, come close. Come, come, come close to me. Come close to me. Yeah, I need you to, I need you to come close to me. I need the camera to come close to me. There you go. There you go. I, I wonder who is it like me who knows what it's like to have this intimate, embrace, close fellowship with God. And then something happens. And watch this. You and God break up. And y'all go your separate way. Actually, you go your separate way. And you get involved in all kind of dumb stuff and all type of crazy stuff. And you live your life but you come to a place in your journey where you're saying to yourself, I want what I used to have with God. I'm talking to somebody right now, and that's you, sir. That's you, ma'am. I'm talking to you right now. You at that place in your journey where you decided to go your own separate way, and you now realize that what I thought I wanted wasn't worth what I walked away from. Now, some of you guys, you, you used to think Christianity is just boring. I just can't do nothing. And then you went back out there where you could do something, and now you miss what you had. Who am I talking to? What do you need to do? What do you need to do? Well, I want to tell you what you need to do. There's a story of a young man who did exactly what some of you guys did. The scripture declares he came to his father, and he says, Dad, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. Look, th- this is what you need to do. Whatever belongs to me, go ahead and give it to me right now because I'm going my own way. Yeah, this is the story of the prodigal son. And he broke up with his father and he went his own way and did his own thing. And the scripture declares it came a point in his relationship where he came to himself and he was like, man, this is, this is not right. I used to be in authority. I used to have rights. I used to be a son And when I look at the people who my daddy was paying, the scripture declares the prodigal son is reminiscing and he said they had not only enough of themselves, they were servants, they had enough of themselves and enough to help other people as well. I'm going to go to my father. Hear me, hear me, hear me because I want to help somebody. Woo! I want to help somebody come home today. I want to help somebody that's been stuck. I'm talking about stuck, stuck. You, you, you in a hog pen right now, and you reminiscing how good you used to have it. The things that you could, oh my God, the thing that you complained about, you wish you had them problems right now. Because the problem that you got right now, come on, ain't got nothing. How do I get back, Pastor? The Bible declares he came to himself. And he said, This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. That's what I'm going to say. And some of you guys, you, you, tripping, you tripping on me right now. Pastor, I hear what you're saying, player, but I already did that. I went to God and said, God, I'm sorry. I need you to help me, God. I'm sorry. I want to get back to the place where I used to be. Pastor, what you're saying, I already did that, and it didn't work for me. I want to show you what's going to work. Bible declares the prodigal son in the whole pen came to himself, and he said, my father's servant 
They got it better than I do right now, and I'm a son. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, just make me a higher servant. I, I, don't want, I don't want my rights. I don't want sonship. I don't want nothing. Just make me a higher servant. So on his way home, that's, that's what I want to read. Watch, watch, watch what happens. Watch what happens on his way home. God, help me in this place. Woo. Luke chapter number 15, verse number 20. So he got up and went to his father, verse number 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, oh my God, and was filled with comp compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Oh my God, verse number 21 declares, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father interrupts him. In essence, his father is like saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, because I already know where your heart is. You know why? You know why he already knows where his heart is? Because he said in verse number 22, he says, but this, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring, put a, put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. You know why the father ran? This ain't just a love story, my friend. This ain't just a story of a father that just missed his son. This is a story that a father saw his son afar off with the sign that he was ready to give up his rights. He put shoes on his son's feet because he came barefoot. He came with the sign that I no longer have rights, daddy. I'm ready to give up my rights, father. And whatever that means, God... I'm giving up my rights. So the father says, put shoes on his feet because he came with the sign of humility. He came with the sign that he wants to be close to me again. He came with the sign that he wants closeness. He gave up his rights and the sign was he came bare feet. He came without his shoes. Moses, Moses. I see that I got your attention. I see that you want closeness with me. I see that you're tired of being in worship services with your hands lifted and everybody seems to feel something but you. I see you in your prayer closet and you are trying to pray. Some people saying that you ain't praying, but I see you trying to pray. I see, I see. But Moses, if you're gonna, if you're gonna approach this burning bush, if you're going to have this intimate fellowship, if you're going to know more than just the omnipresence of God, but the manifest presence of God, there's something you need to do, my son, my daughter. There's something that you need to do. I need you to give up your rights. Take off your sandals. So as I'm ministering, there's some of you guys, you already know, you already know, you already know there are things that God's been dealing with you about that you feel as though that you have a right to. Because what they said to you, I, you got a right to be mad. What he did to you, you got a right to harbor bitterness in your heart. What, what they said, there, there are some of you guys, you've made sacrifices for stuff that you want, and you feel as though that you have, because of the sacrifices that you made, you feel that you have a right to continue to pursue it. But I come to let you know that the blessing that God has for you is, the be is better than the blessing you're going to make for yourself. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. The blessing that God has for you is better than the blessing that you're trying to make for yourself. You feel as though that you have a right to continue to pursue something that's not the will of God because when you calculate all the time all the money that you put into this I got a right but God says get if you want this I need you my son I need you my daughter to give up your rights so there's some of you guys you come in and you like pastor I already know I already know but then there's some of you guys you like I was 
I couldn't feel presence. I couldn't feel closeness, and I didn't know why. And God had to show me what was I holding on, what rights were I retaining. <laughs>